So I want you to picture yourself in that story that Kirby just read. You've lived a good life, maybe even a great life. You've been blessed, you've been prayerful, you know the scriptures, and whatever you've been blessed with, you've given to, other, to help others. You've grown up in a religious family, you are sincere, and so you, you feel like you're doing most of this right, but, but there's something bugging your soul, bugging your spirit. You're wondering, am I doing it all? Is there something that I'm missing? Is there some, some little thing that I haven't noticed? And so you hear about this teacher, Jesus, this miracle worker, this guy who speaks with authority like nobody else, so you go find him. And humbly, you fall down on your knees before him and you say, teacher, tell me, am I doing it okay? And what you're expecting him to say is, well done. You know, by your approach, I can tell that you're humble and you're prayerful and you're right on and, you know, just, you know, make sure that you keep doing what you're doing. Make sure you pray a little bit more, give a little bit more. That's what you're expecting. And then out of the blue, this master, this teacher says, go sell everything. What? And give it to the poor and then come and follow me. And he blows your world away. Because in that culture, money and wealth and privilege and power was a sign of God's blessing. And so you feel like, I, I'm good. And, and, I, and I'm so good that I want to make sure that I'm good. And so I want to in humility say, am I missing anything? And the answer you get back is you're missing everything. How would you feel? How, I mean, maybe this is real for you right now, and you, how do you feel right now? Like, what? Sell it all and give it all away. And then the man went away sad. Interesting, this is the only time in Scripture that we know of somebody just hanging their head and walking away sad after confronting Jesus. People got angry with him. There are times when he walked away. But this is the only, the only story that we know of where somebody was confronted with Jesus and the love and the truth and walked away sad. And I will bet that that man went over and played that conversation with Jesus a million times through the rest of his life. We don't know what happened to him. Some people say, oh, he became Barnabas, he became John Mark, you know, but tradition doesn't support that. We don't know whatever happened to this guy. But we know that he walked away sad that day. He wasn't willing to do what Jesus asked him to do. Now, interesting to me, this guy had it all together. If he walked in, in this morning, I would look at this guy who has it all together on the outside and is humble. He's asking the right questions. How do, I want eternal life. I want to follow. I, I want to do this right. He's on his knees. He's sincere. He's spiritual. He's, he's ready to rock. I mean, I would be stoked. I'd be like, come on, join us, you know? I mean, the other disciples must have been like, you know, here's, here's number 13. Bring him in, right? This guy's good. I mean, let's, let's get rid of Levi. I don't like him, but I like this new guy, Right? He makes sense. But Jesus, I, I love the word, and Jesus looked at him and loved him. Because what we don't see is a judgmental Lord who just says, you jerk, you are all about yourself, get out of my sight. He loved him. 
And what he wanted to do was not to ruin the guy's life and lay rules on him and legislation and say, you've got to add up to this or you can't be in my kingdom. In love, he said, there's something holding you back. And it's the one thing that you're not going to be able to give up. It's the one thing that's this barrier, this mountain that you may not be able to climb. Now, wealth is quite a mountain. I, I'm thankful we live in Westlake. We don't have to worry, you know, in Thousand Oaks, we don't have to worry about this, right? <laughs> that, that was a joke. <laughs> but, man, in, in this day and age, this was a big deal. And I think throughout human history, having stuff is a big deal. In fact, you don't have to have stuff to be greedy. It's interesting that whether you have a little or a lot, anybody can see things as the most important thing. And this man was not able to overcome that. Now, um, I feel like God still in this day and age asks us to leave things to follow him. And for some of us, it is our cultural understanding of money and things. Now, I, I wanted to be an archaeologist. Does anybody know that? And it wasn't just Indiana Jones, but I studied archaeology at Wheaton College uh, under a guy named Dr. Hoffmeyer, who was an Egyptologist. In fact, one of my finals was to translate a stela that no one had ever translated before. So I got to hang out in this old library, like, back room, me alone with this Egyptian stela that was 3,000 years old, and I'm just hanging out with it, and I'm cleaning it, and I put my my tracing paper over it, and I'm taking little etchings and trying to figure out the hieroglyphics. I was into this, deeply into this. <laughs> and I pictured myself on a dig, because I studied art too, and I wanted to be the guy that photographs the neat stuff and draws the pieces to give the 3D and all the, you know. God had other plans. And I had to lay that down. And it, was, it wasn't fair, because he gave me this question in my mind. He said, what's more important, Kirk, Dirt or people? And I was like, Lord, come on, really? I mean, we're the same, we're the same thing, right? We're made out of, no, never mind. But, <laughs> but that's just not a fair question. And so I just said, Lord, I know. I know what you're calling me to do. And so I changed my major from archaeology to Bible and started pursuing ministry. And it's made all the difference. I mean, I'm, I'm thankful that I'm not in a hole somewhere you know, doing that stuff. But, it, but I had to kind of give that to him and kind of kill it, let it die. And, but, but, but I don't look back and say, man, I wish that I, because I see God's plan. And his plan is way better than our plans. Okay, let's get into the text for a couple minutes. This conversation between Jewish and this, between Jesus and this guy is in all three of the synoptic gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke. Synoptic means summaries from a similar point of view. So sometimes we call Matthew, Mark, and Luke the synoptics. And then John is another gospel, but it has a different point of view, not a wrong one. It's just more spiritual. It's more black and white. It's more, um, it, it just has lots of um, metaphors and pictures in it. So it, it feels different. So Matthew and Mark say that this guy is rich and young, and then Luke adds that he's a ruler. Now, what kind of ruler would he have been? People have speculated about that, that he was a court official or maybe a synagogue ruler or something in that society that had weight to it. And at his young age, that would have been really rare. That was strange for somebody 
really young to have that kind of authority in that culture. But people have also speculated since he had money, that made it a little easier. So he probably came from a ruling family where, you know, he grew up in that kind of privilege and where he had that post early. Now, um, look at what Jesus said to him. Verse 18, why do you call me good? Now, that may sound like nothing to us, but let me show you a quote. The Pharisees had a saying, there is nothing that is good but the law, and there is no one that is good but the author of the law. So in, our, in English, good means, you know, I like pizza, it's good, right? But in, in their language, good was like holy and right, and it was something that is honored and raised up. And so, so to say good teacher was kind of a strange thing that the guy would say that. But Jesus was a strange guy in a good way. He was not like all the other teachers. He was not just a regular rabbi. He had authority and power, and he's pulling off miracles and raising people, and all this stuff is happening. And so he says, good teacher, and Jesus calls him, and he says, why do you call me that? There's no one good but God alone. He's not saying, I'm not good. He's saying, think about what you're saying, Right? And I think he's doing two things. He's saying, if you're saying I'm good, then you're saying I'm God. Good job. And he's also saying, if you are calling me good, that means you're not. So understand what you're saying, that in order to be good, you've got to be God. And in order to be good, you've got to be perfect. And so the next conversation is about the commandments. So he's kind of planting the seed of, you're not good enough to keep all these commandments, right? So then, verse 19 and 20, in answer to the man's question about inheriting eternal life, Jesus points in the commandments. What about this one? What about this one? What about this one? He lists some of them that have to do with people. Six of the commandments have to do with people. uh, Four of them have to do with God, your relationship with God. He leaves those out. It's intriguing. So this guy was really good at keeping the people commandments, right? But Jesus tells him that he still lacks something. I think he knew that. He wouldn't have come to Jesus because he had it all together. He wouldn't have come on his knees unless he knew deep down something was missing. Some of you are here because something's missing. I I had this revelation yesterday. I was driving around and I was thinking, you know, uh, we're all homeless. There aren't homeless and those with homes in our society. We're really all homeless spiritually. We, we are wanderers. And then God welcomes us into his home. And, and then it's like we're visiting. And then once, once heaven happens, it's like we're really at home. But until that time, we're really all lacking something. Now we get to have the Jesus in our lives gives us this deposit. It says, it says the Holy Spirit is given as a deposit to those who follow Jesus. And it's like, we have this promise of a new home. It's like we've, we've made one huge step into his kingdom now, and then it's going to be fulfilled. Another picture that's in the Bible is that we're engaged now, and then the marriage is going to happen. It's pretty wild. And so this guy knew that he was lacking something, that something in his heart was wrong. Um, I think, it's, I think it's fascinating that Jesus doesn't say, I want you to go consider selling. I think in our churches, we would be much more wimpy about this. 
I think we would be much more culturally sensitive when we would say, you know, Shane, I think that you should go and pray about it, mm-hmm. right? And get back to me. Jesus just whoops it right out and just says, sell it all, give it away, and then come and follow me. I bet you could have heard a pin drop. I'll bet the the disciples were like, what? And I'll bet some of the more wealthy people in the crowd kind of like, you know, (laughs) right? You ever seen those commercials, want to get away, right? I bet they were like, oh, I know where this is going. I am out of here. But the guy really evaluated it, and it sunk in in his thinking, and he was like, oh, wow, because he knew. And the Bible talks about counting the cost. I mean, it's good that this guy understood what Jesus was asking him to do, and he understood the mountain that he had to overcome, that he would have to you know, get rid of in order to follow Jesus. Now, did Jesus say that wealth is sin? Now, I feel like there are some teachers who you will see, you know, say, you know, to be this wealthy is sin, you know, based on this passage. No. And there are others that would say he didn't really talk about that at all. I mean, he was just talking about that particular guy and wealth is not a problem. What we have to find is the middle point, the balance point of what Jesus is saying. What he is saying is that wealth is dangerous and that for this guy, it was a big problem. Jesus had some wealthy followers. We know that. If you search through the scripture, you'll find a few of them that followed him, and he didn't blast them and say, Dave, get rid of it all. But this guy, he did say, you are the one that has to, you can't can't handle this. Right? And there are some people that can handle wealth well. And there are some people that just can't. And it doesn't even matter how much money they have. It's going to be a barrier between them and God always. That's just, that's just how some, some of us work. Hebrews 13 says, keep your life free from the love of money. 1 Timothy 6, the love of money is the root of evil. Did you notice the common word other than money? Love. Right? Loving it rather than loving him. Can we love two things? It's hard. Um, Jesus said in Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, in our culture, it's insidious. It's in the drinking water. It's in our veins. It's, it's on TV. It's on the billboards. It's in my car. It, it's everywhere. It's in the music my sons listen to. It's the whole, I got to have more. I got to have that. That, that's not enough. How much is enough? I mean, someone once said one more million is enough, right? And Jesus just, just, he challenges it. Now for us, I mean, for me personally, this is hard because I own a home. And there are some people that I, that I know that would say like, why you do that? You're tied to your mortgage, You're not free to follow Jesus if he calls you to Uganda because you've got to earn a certain amount of money to pay your mortgage every month, and it's a chain on your ankle that chains you to Newbury Park. That's legit. Yeah, it is. Now, is owning a home right or wrong? I don't think it's that clear. I think we have to be thinking about, God, what have you called me to do with my life, and what have you called me to do with resources, and do you want me to be a good steward of this? 
Do you want me to be a good steward of that? How do you want to use, you know, whatever you've entrusted me with? Do you want me to develop that? Because remember the parable of the talents, right? One guy had a whole bunch and he doubled it. One guy had a, a little bit less and he doubled it. The guy who was unfaithful and sinful did not invest his stuff. He didn't invest the money. He sat on it. And so there's clear teaching in Scripture about investing, about growing, about expanding, about the promised land, right? There's also clear teaching in Scripture about giving it away, where it does not own you, you own it. So here's the point. The point is, master. What is the master of your life? The point is kingship. Who's the king? Jesus is the king. In this guy's life, Jesus could not be the king because he already had a king. Now, he looked religious and together, but part of his system was money. Part of his system was wealth. And Jesus said, I'm not mixing up with that. You're going to have to put me at the kingship of your life or, it, or it's just not going to work. Here's, here's the thing that, that God put on my heart this week. Jesus is not asking every human being to give all they own to somebody else. He's asking every human being to submit to his kingly authority. Let me say that again. Jesus is not asking you to give all you have to the poor, necessarily. He's asking you, first of all, to submit to him as king. After you submit to him as king, anything goes. If you want to be in control of your 401k and your security and your identity and your bank account, don't submit to him. It's dangerous because you can't have both. You cannot have control and give him control. You just can't. Now, in my life, Jesus has messed up things. He has, right? He has not done it the way I would want him to do it. He doesn't care. He loves me, but he doesn't care about my opinion sometimes, right? Because he knows what's best, because he's a parent, and he's a great, loving parent. Do you give your kids all they want? Do you give them unlimited resources? Why? Because it's dangerous, right? If, if my 16-year-old son had the Lamborghini he wants, how would that turn out? <laughs> Am I right? It's dangerous, So he wants to be the master of our lives. And there's one way into his kingdom. We can't earn it. If we could earn it, this story wouldn't be in the Bible. This guy had already earned it. He was good. He was better than any of us here. Do you remember St. Paul? He said, said, by by legalistic righteousness, I am perfect. St. Paul, when he was Saul of Tarsus, before his big meeting with Jesus, he kept all the rules. Most of us can't say that. He gave what he was supposed to give and more. He prayed as much as he's supposed to pray and more. He studied the scriptures more than any of us could imagine. They would have memorized the first five books of the Old Testament. Nailed it. I mean, chapter, verse, and what it means and why and all the things that have been written about it. And boom, amazing. But he said, I count it all loss to knowing him. And this guy, this story would not be in the Bible if you could earn it. Jesus is not going to grade on a curve. But when I meet with people at Starbucks or Coffee Bean or Pete's, what, and I like all of them, <laughs> what, 
what I, what I hear in our culture is I'm a very spiritual person. And I help people, and I serve, and I give, and I was part of the Peace Corps, and I went to Thailand, and, you know, and I'm just I'm trying to do my best. I don't hurt anybody. That's awesome. I can't blast somebody for that. That's fantastic. But that's not enough. Because to be better than everybody else, I mean, I heard a joke once. There were two guys walking through the jungle. And are you scared? <laughs> There were two guys walking through the jungle, and, and they were carrying all their clothes because they just went swimming, right, in the swimming hole. And they were walking up, and they see a lion come down the hill, down this path. And the lion looks at him and goes, right? It's going to eat him. And the one guy, like, is terrified, and the other guy gets down and starts putting on his shoes and lacing him up. And the guy goes, what are you, why are you putting on your shoes? I mean, there's no way you're going to be able to outrun that lion. And he says, I don't need to outrun the lion. I need to outrun you. <laughs> but that's kind of how people feel spiritually about stuff in our culture. As long as I'm better than these two, you know, if, if I can be better than most of you, God's got to let me in, right? And that, it's, it sounds funny when I say it like that, but it sounds perfectly legit when somebody explains it, like what they've done with their life and how they view their spiritual life. But the problem is that God wants us to get 100% on this test called life. I don't know if I ever got 100% in my whole life. 100%. It's impossible spiritually to get 100%. Unless I allow God's grace to overtake my life. Unless I say, Jesus, you're the master and I'm not. My stuff, my money, my mortgage, my family, my future, my goals, my major in college, my job, it's all yours. Now, Jesus, I want you to use this and me however you want. This is yours. It's not mine. This man was not willing to do that. He left sad, hoping that the curve would work out. And most people in our culture, if you say, are you sure about what you believe, most of them will say, not really. I mean, I think it's going to work out like that. But if you push them and ask a lot of questions in relationship, they're not sure. I want to be sure. I want to know in my knower, I want to know that, that I'm secure in his family, that I get to be with the Lord forever. And I want to hand that on to anybody I can and welcome them into the family and say, please come with me. Because, man, it, you can't be good enough. Jesus said there's, there's only one that's good, it's God. Okay, now, here's the last part. So the real question is, who's the king of your life? Lori. Who is the king of your life? You don't have to answer. Mm -hmm. Here is how you're going to know who the king or what is the king of your life. Where do you find your identity? If someone says, what are you all about? And you say, I am a phenomenal golfer. Who cares? <laughs> I even, I like golf. If someone says, you know, tell me about you. And you're like, well, I have three kids. I grew up in Newbury Park. So what? If someone says, who are you, and you say, I'm the CEO of this company, or the CFO of that, or the COO, or the C, whatever, O, that you are, is that your identity? Or if you say, you know, my identity is my car, or my team, or my sport, or my, right? My family, even, right? Here's another way you can know What's the king of your life? Where's your security lie? 
Do you watch the stocks on your phone all day long? Who's king? Do you listen to, you know, the, the business report whenever it's on, always? You know, uh, are you always checking how, how the account balances are doing and your 401k and this and that? And, you know, that's not necessarily bad, but man, that's an indicator of where's your security, right? Some of us got scared when house values went, right? And now they've come back up. What does that all mean? I don't know. But, but I'm not right now like checking every day on Zillow, you know, what's my house worth, right? But where is our identity? Where is our security? Those are the big, big deals. Our greatest assets become our greatest liabilities if they're not laid at the feet of Jesus. So whatever he has entrusted you with, if you are not giving that to him, it is a barrier. It's a mountain between you and him. That's what this story is all about. It could be anything. It doesn't have to be money, but man, in our culture, it is money for a lot of us. Here's a quote from Denny and Lisa Balesi, some friends of mine, and they wrote a book called Kingdom Assignment. They said, we can either use our money to serve our God or our money becomes our God. That's good. And David Platt said this in his book Radical. We settle for a Christianity that's all about catering to ourselves when the central message of the gospel of Jesus is abandoning ourselves. I don't want you guys to come to church to feel good and go, man, that was a great sermon. Again, who cares, right? But I want us to gather and be family and be sold out for Jesus because he's king. And I want us to raise him up in this community because I am dying to be part of a community that's like that. Amen. That man, when people walk in here, they're like, they are about Jesus. They love him enough to do anything he wants them to do, enough to go to Uganda and Mexico and serve people and help people here in need in the community. And they don't just hoard it in and look all good on the outside. They're willing to talk about their stuff. They're willing to share their stuff. They're willing to be real with each other and be a family. Amen. Are you guys ready to be there? Amen. I mean, that's the kind of family we got to be. And we got to be an inclusive family where it's not like people have trouble breaking in. That's stupid, right? I'm broken and you're broken and so are other people. Let's welcome broken people and let's hang around and let the Lord fix us. That's what we got to be. Okay. Whew. Okay. <laughs> Now, yeah. <laughs> Billy, would you pop up here? I asked Billy to play a song that's actually called The Rich Young Ruler. And it was written by Derek Webb, who used to sing for Cademan's Call way back in the day. But I want you to think about two things uh, as, as he sings this. And just in your own life, just get real and just reflect on what we've just talked about, about this story. Jesus wants you to be free. He doesn't want you to carry around the weight of wealth, the weight of whatever that barrier is between you and him, or whether it's wealth or something else. He doesn't want you to carry that around. He wants to be free. He wanted that, that rich young guy to be free. And the second thing is this. Ask the Lord to bring to mind what is it that is king in your life, or what is it that competes with him and his kingship as he sings this.